that you invite, I ask that you turn to Psalm 122 this morning and let me say that I'm honored to be as an elder. I'm also very humbled and I ask that you pray for me as I pray for you for I do need it. <laughs> Psalm 122, we continue looking at the Psalms of Ascent this morning and before we read the word of God, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you asking for your blessing upon your word this morning. We know, Lord, you've already blessed your word, uh, for your word uh, is blessed. But Lord, open up our hearts, Lord God, to your word, and help me, your unworthy servant, as I read it and proclaim uh, it today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 122, we begin reading in verse 1, where David wrote, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Psalm 122 uh, is a psalm of David. Now, the first two psalms of ascent, Psalm 120 and 121, we don't know who wrote them. They're, uh, it's anonymous. But Psalm 122 it's generally agreed that it is King David. And as I've said before, these psalms uh, were used by Jewish pilgrims as time went on as they traveled to worship in Jerusalem on one of the great three feasts of Israel. And Psalm 122 is a psalm on the glory of worshiping God in his house in Jerusalem. It is also a psalm on the glory of Jerusalem uh, as the place that unites God's people there to worship Him. And the psalm, I will I'll say this, the psalm will ultimately find its fulfillment in another Jerusalem. And to quote or paraphrase the writer of Hebrews and that Jerusalem's designer and builder, is God. And I want to speak to you today on the house of the Lord. For David begins this psalm in Psalm 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, this is a good psalm and to use to open up worship, and I, I know I've heard it used in 
uh, church services or to open up a church service and make a good one to read at home before you go to church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now David, when he was speaking of the house of the Lord, uh, he is referring to Moses' tabernacle, which was in Jerusalem at this time. For there was no temple when David wrote Psalm 122. That would come later uh, under his son Solomon. And you'll also notice that he says, I was glad when they said unto me. They said it. And also in verse 2 he says, Our feet, not my feet. Uh, David is perhaps speaking of the tribes of Israel here. Uh, he's using poetry. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of God. Uh, where the pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem there at the tabernacle and later the temple that replaced uh, the tabernacle. David writes in verse 2 about the excitement you know, when you see this, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. This speaks of excitement, of going to the house of God. And, you know, coming to worship should not be a drudgery. It should not be a drudgery. It should be excitement. Uh, we should be, you know, enthused to come together as God's people. There are some other, a couple other psalms that are very similar to what David writes here in, at beginning Psalm 122, you read Psalm 63. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2, David said, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see Thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen Thee, in the sanctuary. The sanctuary, again, referring to the house of God here. And David wrote Psalm 63. In Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist here states, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. He has a desire to be in the courts of God here, this psalmist did, referring again to either the temple or the tabernacle. And then you go to verse uh, 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Here we see in all these psalms, Psalm 122, 63, and 84, a desire to be in God's presence. And here in Psalm 122, again, David is saying, let us, let us, our feet, this speaks of corporate worship, a corporate gathering, uh, not being long ranger. And I think a lot of times I see it, many people think that they can long ranger worship. Now, of course, there is personal worship, but many will say that I don't need to gather as the church. Uh, but the writer of Hebrews, and I'm not, I'm just going to just basically paraphrase what he states 
in Hebrews 10.25 calls believers to not forsake the assemblings of ourselves together, but rather to encourage one another as we come, even as more we see the day approaching, that is the coming of Christ. Now, you often hear them say, look, I can do this at home and worship, rather than come gather with you or out fishing. Now, they're not going to do that, but they'll say that because this building is not a church. Well, of course it's not the church. We've, I think that's Christianity 101. Uh, we, I, mean, I might be better said this is a church building or church meeting places. This is where the church gathers. But let me also say that you gathering at your home or gathering out and, uh, and fishing, you're not the church either. Let me remind you, the church means the, the, in the Greek is ekklesia. It means a called out assembly. A called out assembly of baptized believers. Uh, we all make up the church, but don't get this long ranger activity in your idea that I can do it without God, or I'm the church itself. Well, you're not a pastor, you're not a deacon, and you're not any of this. I mean, that's how people don't understand what Scripture says. And we're going to see here in just a few moments when we get to heaven, it's corporate worship there, folks. Uh, it's not you doing your own thing. People doing their own thing, that's selfishness, and, 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 it's, uh, and, it's, and it's a sin. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20, or let's say verse, uh, yes, verse 19, beginning in verse 19 through 22, where Paul writes, now, thou, therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, or the house of God. And what is this house made up of? Well, it's not this brick and mortar or wood. Notice what he states in verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation of the church is, uh, or this temple, is the apostles and prophets. What does that mean? Well, folks, our foundation of truth is found upon the teachings and the, of the apostles and the prophets right here, our foundation. And Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone that holds the entire foundation of the church together. In verse 21, And whom all the building fitly framed together groweth, unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The Lord's church is His habitation, His temple, my friends. And that's not a building. That is God's people uh, here in our New Testament times. Uh, the temple and the tabernacle are only shadows of all that, my friends. When you go to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 22, the writer states here, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, 
and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to a innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Here he speaks of the church universal. And I, I know and I like how the writer states it. You've caught you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, we haven't went there yet, have we? Well, he's talking about the unity of God's people. We know the church, when we speak of the church universal, meaning the church that makes up all believers. We're talking about us here, the church militant, we often use it, and there's also the church triumphant in heaven that we are united. Now, we're not to pray to the saints, to venerate them, but my friends, we're all connected from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we, my friends, we're united because of our common faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the Savior of us all, being the foundation and David and Israel came to Jerusalem to worship God in His temple. They didn't come empty-handed, though. They came bringing animal sacrifices, grain offerings. They came here to offer sacrifices on the bronze altar in the tabernacle, later the temple. But not so with us. We also bring something, but notice what... Hebrews 13 verses 14 and 15 state for we have no continuing city but we seek one to come look the Jerusalem we're going to is, is not here on earth uh, David was looking toward the Jerusalem uh, on this earth where the temple or, or the tabernacle at his time was we're looking to the new Jerusalem and notice in verse 15, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. What do we bring? We bring the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to Him. That's all we can offer. For Christ paid for our salvation on the cross. Those animal sacrifices and even those that furniture in the tabernacle and later the temple, which is the altar, the table of showbread, uh, all of this, were they all pointed to Christ and His perfect sacrifice. It's been fulfilled. And we just offer the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, we look to that new Jerusalem and we offer it praise and thanksgiving to Christ who has saved us. Now going back to Psalm 122, Psalm 122 again, uh, in verses 3 through 5, uh, David speaks of the beauty of Jerusalem. Uh, he speaks of its unity. It's where the tribes of Israel gathered. He speaks of this here. You know, this is where the tribes go up, verse 4, the tribes of the Lord. Uh, they gather to worship God there in His appointed place in the, in the tabernacle and later the temple. If you 
read the Old Testament, you know this was the appointed place God had set aside for his people to worship him. And it states, under the testimony of Israel. The term testimony of Israel is referring to the Ark of the Covenant. Within that Ark was the Ten Commandments, the law. The, uh, and John Gill states it's a symbol of the divine presence among God's people, the Ark of the Covenant was. They gathered here. And, and that Ark of the Covenant, that testimony, it declares of God's covenant with His Old Testament people Israel. And the thrones of judgment here uh, refer to David's dynasty that ruled from Jerusalem. Uh, that it was through David. Uh, this is also, you could say there's a little messianic message here because David was and his dynasty were the appointed kings God had chosen. Here in our New Testament times, as I've stated earlier, we looked we also worship the Lord. We look to that other Jerusalem, to a greater Jerusalem that's described in Revelation. That's described in Revelation twenty one. Revelation twenty one Where John writes, beginning of verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new, earth, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. John here in Revelation sees the new Jerusalem. Something that the Jerusalem of David's day never lived up to and couldn't. Coming out of heaven. And I love verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be His people. Now in the Old Testament, yes, that tabernacle and temple, they represented God's presence. And yes, His glory would come into the Holy of Holies. But there was always a division there, wasn't it? There was a division because of the sinfulness of man. Not everyone could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest, and he could only do it once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But now in the New Jerusalem, there's no more division between God and His creation. God and His people. He dwells with them. And you can, in person, oh my... Friends, we see worship in its purest in heaven in the new Jerusalem. Go down a few verses there in Revelation 21 to verse 22. He says, And I saw no temple therein. Why? Because the temple was just a symbol of God's presence. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. 
God Himself is among His people. That's what He's saying. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Oh, in Jerusalem, we see here, it's not the, notice here, it's not the tribes of Israel gathering in, in David's Psalm 122, the Psalms of Israel. This was where they would gather there in Jerusalem to worship God. In the New Jerusalem, it's not describing the tribes of Israel gathering to worship. It's describing the nations of the saved gathering. The nations of all those who are saved. The church. You, you can go a few chapters back to Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. John had saw another vision. Verses 9 and 10. He sees these gathering to worship. And what did he see? And in this Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no one, no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. You see the difference between the New Jerusalem and Old Jerusalem. Old Jerusalem, God's covenant people, Israel, the tribes gathered there to worship God. In the New Jerusalem, it's the nations of the saved. Of all nations, tribes and tongues gathered there to worship God. Look, uh, my ancestors are all from Northern Europe. Celtic, Anglo-Saxon. When the Old Testament and New Testament were being written, they were worshiping stones and idols. They didn't know the truth of God. It wasn't until the gospel came. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that they would that their ancestors would be brought into the covenant of God? But you know, the Old Testament did speak about it. One of my favorite uh, is found in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 19, verses 23 through 25. Isaiah saw a picture. He saw what was coming. The day of when all nations would be brought unto Christ. In Isaiah 19, verse 23, beginning of verse 23, he says, In that day there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel mine inheritance." Look, Isaiah saw this day. Look, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel, these were enemies of Israel when he wrote this. And these two nations had been enemies. Well, here we see three enemies Isaiah saw. 
coming together, no longer enemies, but friends united in the worship of Lord God. He saw what John would later see in Revelation. God unites those who were once enemies into his body become through the new birth. Now, I know there's people today, and I may offend some, you know, emphasizing Christian nationalism today, you know, that, uh, you know, emphasize trying to mix Christianity and the, and the, and the star-spangled banner. My friends, that's not Christianity. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I have more in common with a, uh, someone living in Tehran, Tehran, Iran, who's a Christian, than I do with an unbeliever right here in this area. Why? Because we have a common faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I remember watching a movie on, it wasn't a movie, it's a documentary on the underground church in China. And I was seeing this underground church and they were singing a hymn that we all know, Amazing Grace. I couldn't understand a single thing they were saying, but I understood the tune. When they were singing that hymn of John Newton's, I understood the language they were speaking, even though I couldn't understand it, if that makes any sense. The tune, I knew these were followers of Jesus Christ here gathered together. And they're my brothers and sisters. Look, Jesus came to establish something that's not bound by nations. By, uh, we are bound together by faith in Christ. Going back to Psalm 122, uh, David states, beginning verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That, that is, that she will be safe from harm and that peace will reside within her so that they can come together and worship the Lord there in Jerusalem as God's people. That might You might ask the question, should we pray for Jerusalem's peace? And it's kind of ironic asking that knowing what's going on this weekend with, the, with fighting and and the killing that's going on, really an all-out war in modern-day Israel. Should we pray for Jerusalem's peace? Of course we should. We should pray for Jerusalem's peace. But in the context, we pray for Jerusalem's peace because God's people are there. That is, those who know Christ. Uh, that we should pray for their salvation. We should pray for Gaza's peace. We should pray for Springfield's peace, Ponchatoula's peace, Hammond's peace, New Orleans' peace, because there are Christians who are gathered there, and, and we need to pray for God's people. I think the Apostle Paul uh, kind of puts it in, in context in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, where he states, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. And I want to stop there. Paul's saying, look, we need to pray for all people. He mentions kings, and what's amazing, when he said he's talking about kings, he's talking about the Roman Caesars, some of the enemies of the gospel. Pray for them, for all that are in authority, those that are over him, these in the Roman authority, that why? 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Very similar to praying for the peace of Jerusalem for God's people, wherever they may dwell. There's Christians in persecuted countries and areas. We need to pray for the peace of those areas, whether it be North Korea, China, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. That God's truth and salvation may come upon people. And he, and, he, and he goes and states, for this is the good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come in the knowledge of the truth. Yes, we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The sad thing about David's request is that Jerusalem, after David died, his son Solomon would lead Jerusalem and Israel away from the Lord. And it would be a constant battle throughout the centuries till finally they were destroyed. Then they were brought back. But then you come to Jesus' day when Jesus came to Jerusalem in Luke 19. The son of David, by the way, here, the king of kings, what did David state? I mean, Jesus say as he was about to enter Jerusalem the final week of his personal ministry says and when he come near he beheld the city that is Jerusalem and wept over it saying if thou hadst known even now at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace but now they're hid from thine eyes. He says, if you only knew, here is God in the flesh, the one the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied of. David's son, but they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. Notice he mentions the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from your eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and can pass thee around and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Haunting words. Jesus says you don't know the time of your visitation. Judgment's going to come up on Jerusalem. And, and about 35, 40 years after Jesus said these words, roughly, Jerusalem would be leveled to the ground by the Romans. Literally leveled to the ground. And that temple would be leveled to the ground. Mainly because it was no longer needed. God, it, was, it was the offering of the sacrifices had been completed in Christ. And even today, though Jerusalem still exists, there's very little peace there. And there will be no peace there, my friends, until the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Gaza and Palestine, when Jew and Muslim alike, there will be no peace until they realize that Jesus is the Son of God. No peace. But the new Jerusalem is different. Going back... One last time to Revelation 21. Those 
the three last verses in this chapter, and I uh, that I just love this chapter here in Revelation 21, verses 25 through 27. And you'll notice, beginning in verse 25, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Notice the gates shall not be shut. In the old in, in ancient times, the gates would be closed because of enemies. And at night, there's no need for the gates to be shut anymore. There's no danger, no evil awaiting those in the New Jerusalem. It's perfect peace. Going in verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here we see in the new Jerusalem, unlike the Jerusalem of David's day, there's no evil, there's no fallen man, there's no sin. The nations of the saved enter it. Uh, the Jer Jerusalem of above is magnificent. A place of eternal peace. And the writer of Hebrews, as we've already looked at, speaks of this, speaks of this city as the true home of all us. I may live in Hammond. You may live here in Ponchatoula or somewhere else here in, in southeast Louisiana. That's just a tent you're living in. Your true home, if you're a believer in Christ, is this city, the New Jerusalem. There was an old hymn we used to sing as a kid. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand. I love that. Uh, I believe it's the last verse. And it says, When I shall reach that happy place, I will be forever blessed, for I shall see my Father's face and in His bosom rest. And what a day that shall be. David concluded Psalm 122. says, Because of the house of our Lord, I will seek thy good. I will seek thy good. Uh, I will work for your good. Uh, we're heading to that. If you're a Christian today, your destination is the new Jerusalem. You're on a pilgrimage, a psalm of ascent to that place, to quote again that psalm, I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? Now, unfortunately, most people will not because of their enslaved wills until the Holy Spirit convicts them and regenerates them. But what a place that awaits us who are believers in heaven, the new Jerusalem. And... Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You're not a Christian. Oh, I hope, my friends, I pray that today you will stop rebelling against God. Don't look at this earth as your home. Turn from your sins and look to Christ who died on the cross for sinners and believe upon Him. I pray God will give you a new heart today. Where is your home this morning? This world... Or is it in the Jerusalem above? And I, I hope and pray it is the Jerusalem above. If not, I pray that the Lord will convict you at this time, my friend, to turn to Christ. Let's pray. Father, 
We just thank you for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And we thank you there's a a house of God above awaiting us, the new Jerusalem for all who have faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, let us never take our eyes off of that Jerusalem, but always have it in our mind and be like Abraham who looked toward that city whose builder and maker is God because too often, Lord God, I know with myself, I put my eyes on this world and sometimes think of it as my home, but it's not. It's not our home. Oh, let us put our eyes above and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I ask, Lord God, for any here today or watching on Facebook, that, Lord, you will convict them of their need of salvation if they're lost, that they will turn to Christ today. And help us, Lord, seek to spread this good news of Christ crucified, looking toward that eternal city. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.